0: question isn't who is going to let me, it's who's going to stop me, Anne Rand. You are listening to The Real Estate Investor Show, episode number nine.
1: Welcome ladies to The Real Estate Investor Show, providing inspiration, strategies, and insight to empower women investors to live balanced and financially free lives. Now, here are your co-hosts, Liz and Andressa.
0: Is it really possible to balance your life? Well, today's guest, Dawn Brennigan, challenges this very idea. Dawn, the owner of Trailwood Realty, is based in Raleigh, North Carolina. She owns a rental portfolio, sells close to 50 homes a year, and manages over 100 homes, and is a mom to five-year-old twins. On today's jam-packed episode, we discuss how she got started investing with her parents, how to screen tenants, the value of money, the myth of balancing life, private lending, and her goal of becoming financially free. Hi, everyone. We have uh, Don Brennigan here from Trailwood Realty with us today, and we're excited to have you on the show.
1: Thanks, guys. I'm excited to be here.
0: Good, good. Uh, we're gonna jump into a lot of great uh, discussion. Um, Andressa's here too. Say hi, Andressa. Hey, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> um, we're gonna do a lot of great. Um, a lot, of, a lot of great things Dawn's up to and uh, her, her, her journey has been really, really neat. Um, so without further ado, as we jump into things, what compelled you to get, you know, involved in real estate investing? Like what, what, what got, you, got you going?
1: Sure. My parents actually did it. So um, I got licensed back when I was 23 years old. Um, that was back in 2002 and started working um, the following year, 2003. And my parents had just sold a property in Fayetteville where I'm from. And, um, you know, it's basically just said, I have a bunch of cash I'm sitting on. We want to buy a couple investment properties in Raleigh, um, go find us something. And so I, you know, that,
2: I- that's a good thing. Huh? Your parents, <laughs> you can call and say, Hey,
1: I know all the parts <laughs> in the world um so and I was actually working in new home sales at the time so I'd never even done general brokerage I really had no idea what I was doing at all um so I lived in Raleigh at the time and my you know I was young so a lot of my friends were still in college um my boyfriend at the time had a bunch of friends going to NC State and I knew that they were all kind of looking in a particular neighborhood to find their rental properties to live in while they were in school and so. Really, just with that knowledge, I said, okay, I know this neighborhood people like to live in. Um, let's buy two properties here, and two happen to be on the market. We bought both of them, um, and my parents said, okay, great. You manage them. You take care of it. Again, not a clue what I'm doing, um, so so I did it, and I winged it the, the whole way, and, you know, Thankfully, everything went well. Nothing fell apart. and um, You know, just kind of figured it out as I went. Um, you know, and at the time, I was probably 24, 25 years old. So, um, you know, not a whole lot of experience behind me. Um, you know, not even life experience. So... So you know it all worked out, and eventually kind of moved my way up to buying a few new properties and now i 've got uh, five single family rental properties um, the two that my parents owned they eventually sold those to me, so mm. I bought those mm, probably about two years ago um, after my dad passed, my mom had them, and she didn 't really want to be a rental property owner anymore, so I convinced her to let me buy them instead of selling them
0: mm. that's great, so you have five you have five single family homes you 're also um, full-time real, real estate agent. You have a, you know, um, a brokerage, is that fair? Or is that, you have a, yeah. Okay. Yeah, so and- I
1: basically worked as a single agent, um, opening up my own brokerage back in 2010, once I mm-hmm. wanted to get out of new home sales. Um, and so it was just me for the longest time in the brokerage. Um, so it's just what they call a single agent brokerage, but mm-hmm. now I've got, um, a couple of people who work with me now.
0: That's great, and and one of the biggest things that you also do is that you are you have a property management company, and yeah. you you manage over what a hundred homes.
1: Yeah, it's probably about one hundred and fifteen.
0: That's a lot. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> I know first first that's a lot, and and you know it's uh there's a lot to that. I, I and I'd love to just dive into that a little bit. Um, what what made you so? You're managing your own properties, obviously, and then and then you're now managing properties for investors or who are your clients who mostly, how did you grow, you know, how did you grow that?
1: So I, I opened up the business in 2010, which is, you know, as everyone knows, we were all in a recession, uh, home sales were not moving very quickly. Um, so I, you know, was sitting around thinking about what else I could do with my time and came up with the idea of managing properties for other people. Um, I had had my own rental properties at that point for, you know, six years or so and, um, you know, learned a lot by trial and error and decided, you know, everything's gone really well and I can do this for other people. So, <clears throat> you know, I opened up Trailwood Realty then and didn't really focus on working with buyers and sellers just because the market was so, market was so soft, it, you know, it just wasn't a really good place to focus your energy. Um, so I focused on property management. And Probably had about 30 properties or so under management when I found out I was pregnant with twins um, in 2011. And so... You know, I tried to back off of advertising and looking for new clients and stuff because I didn't know what having two kids was going to be like. Um, I hear kids were hard to raise. Who said that? No. I can say it's a little tricky. Um, <laughs> so I just wanted to, you know, give myself a little bit of breathing room. But since I had 30 clients or so at the time, you know, a lot of them were sending me referrals and, you know, stuff was just kind of falling in my lap and I didn't want to turn those people away. So by the time the kids were actually born, I think that we had grown to about 60 properties at that time in mm-hmm. 2012. So you
2: basically doubled.
1: Yeah, doubled. <laughs> so well, we, <laughs> Right.
2: We, we all know that, you know, property management, it's time consuming. So I would like to know what systems did you put in place in order to reduce your time into literally managing those properties?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Being organized and having those systems in place is really, you know, the key to the whole business. Um, at the, you know, when I first started out, I didn't use software. That was a big mistake. Um, I currently use Buildium, um, and that's a great little program that helps me keep track of maintenance requests. Um, it handles collecting all the rent from my tenants. You know, so I know when they haven't paid after it's due. You know, and can start uh, trying to collect it. Automatically posts late fees, which is great. and Definitely helps um, up the rate of late. fees that you actually collect when it's sitting right there in their account instead of you having to call them and tell them, you know, to mail in a check, um, you know, so kind of have everything in one place. has just been very key to me. So I try to use Buildium as much as I can to its full potential.
0: And and that's an interesting, so Buildium does everything from, if you don't mind, share a little bit about what, because there's so many out there and, you know, we've, we've worked with various programs. Uh, we use Appfolio right now. That's that's the program we've been using, but we did use Rent Manager. Billium's probably the only one that was highly recommended that we haven't tried. <laughs> so so they're all they all have value. What would you say is when when should you get a software in place? I mean because you know people listening to this may may manage ten properties, may manage three, they may manage twenty. Um, we started using something right away. And we acted as, as if we were managing 100 units. Smart. So, you know, well, we, <laughs> we, we haven't done that many things, right? But that's one thing I can say. <laughs> early on, it was like, you know, make the list of things you, don't, you didn't do right. But, you know, that was one thing we actually did. It was, it was smart to do at the beginning. But for you, when was your, when did you start using Billium? Like how many units were you managing? What for you um, made sense to make that transition? And what might people out there listening to this, you know, the women out there listening to this make, make sense for them in terms of using software?
1: Sure, I was probably at 3035 properties or so before I actually bought the software. Um, Before that I was using, you know, spreadsheets and Mm -hmm. to do lists and just taking notes and stuff and when I was just managing my own five properties that was probably fine but um, you know, doing this for other people made that much more uh, labor-intensive and time-consuming. Um, I should have started from day one. Um, trying to onboard 30 properties into a new system was very chaotic. Um, people were just used to doing things a certain way. And then when you basically tell them, okay, things are changing now, now you have to log into the system and do a maintenance request, right. don't call put it in here you know and people they can't remember their logins and passwords you know they're still mailing me rent checks and you know it just took a long time for those people to eventually move and then you know new people to come in who you could start on the right system and stuff but I still have a few stragglers that you know can't figure out how to use property management Mm -hmm. software and stuff (laughs) um you know it, it happens and you know it's not the end all be all if they can't get with the system but fortunately at this point now it's just maybe four or five people and everyone else uses it so um you know, trying to have somebody make a maintenance request by text or they call you or they Facebook message you or yeah. there's so many inputs into your daily life with all the social media and ways mm-hmm. to contact people that if you allow people to do that, you'll lose track of them all because you don't know, you know, you're checking your text messages, but this person left you a voicemail and you don't know to check your right. voicemail for Or whatever. And so if you have it all in one place where what I like about Buildium is somebody puts in a maintenance request, um, you know, it's got all their contact information. Everything is already in that email. I can see it pop up in my email and then send it straight to my plumber and he can call the tenant and go ahead and make arrangements. And then the next day I get a follow up email from Buildium that shows us as an uncompleted task or a task And then I can say, you know, hey, plumber, did you call this tenant and make an appointment? You know, update me on this. And I can keep track of stuff on a daily basis, um, you know, and kind of see what's been handled and what hasn't. So before somebody would send me a text and then, you know, by the next day I have 250 more texts and, you know, your text is buried way down there somewhere and I'll never see it again.
0: Right. Yeah, it's a really good point. And, and, um, you know, it's interesting too when you think about the whole managing properties for others you know, we, we manage our own, we've also managed, you know, we manage um, most of our own properties, but we've also been recently hiring property management companies. And it's been really a transition because, you know, we physically can't be some of these locations, but it's been hard in some ways because you're kind of like, well, they don't do things exactly how we do them. But for you, you know, and when you're working with these folks and you're, you're working with these clients, um, the whole self-managing versus hiring someone is is a is a big discussion and um and it's a big kind of concern for some people whether or not to um make the transition or just to start managing themselves like what would you say to to investors out there you know if they're looking at you know hiring someone like yourself um what are some you know really important things to look for and how do they vet these property management companies out because it could be really nerve-wracking to you know kind of hand the keys to the kingdom so to speak and um and you you and i both you know we all know that it's not about it's not about buying the right you can buy right but it's about managing the asset that's it's always you're going to either make your cash flow or not if you're managing that property correctly so what would you say to you know investors out there women that are considering hiring property management companies like yourselves like what are some key things they should be looking at as they're vetting um, or even have a property management company what does sh- what should they be getting like what what's a phenomenal company to have on your team.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, I, one, I think it takes the the two personalities to be able to mesh well together. You know, if you have somebody, um, you know, for me, like, I, I can't work with clients who are overly controlling and demanding because I am also controlling and demanding. And therefore, you know, you have two people who want to do things their own way. And it, I can't do things differently than the way that I do them, right? You know, I've got my systems in place. And that's what allows me to be able to manage my business in a, an effective manner. And if somebody wants me to do it their way, I can't stop and remember that every single time this thing comes up, I've got to do right. it. Some other way. So, you know, for me, a good client is somebody who who can look at my systems and say, yes, I'm on board with what you do. I trust you to make good decisions and things like that. So I find for people who are overly controlling that maybe, um, you know, it's best for them to do it themselves. And I also think that there's a good, um, you know, there's some learning tools there that come along with doing it yourself too, that you kind of learn like, hey, for a plumber to come out for $95 is not really that expensive because, Once you try to do it a few times yourself, you're going to realize that's what they all charge. And if you find somebody who's less than that, he probably turned out to be pretty terrible. And so, you know, you kind of learn some of these things along the way and you learn what things are worth. And maybe it's not worth it to you. Maybe you've got some great contacts out there and you don't need the property manager's contacts. You know, you can handle the phone calls and the maintenance and stuff yourself. Um, You know, it's just kind of learning about what is worth it to you. Um, so, you know, when you are trying to vet a property manager, I would just make sure that your personalities are going to work well together. You know, I would look and see like, what are the systems and stuff that they're using? How do they report? You know, when do you get paid every month? You know, how do um, how do they communicate with you? I think probably the communication is just the biggest key. Um, you know, I find that most people are probably pretty easy to go get along with as long as you are communicating with what's going on. So, you know, I have some property owners who do not want to hear from me if they see my phone number pop up on their phone. Like they get a feeling of dread. That's a problem. <laughs> yeah. Oh, <Uh-oh>. Don's calling. <laughs> I'm like, oh crap, Don's calling. Like you know, now what? And so they don't want to see my number pop up on. their so, you know, the few times that I call for non-terrible things you know they're just like oh gosh thank god it's not you and i have to start off the phone call with hey there's nothing wrong
2: but, <laughs> Of course, <laughs> they're already sweating
1: yeah they're already you know got their defenses up and wanting to know how much money they've got to spend and um you know but then other people they want to know every little thing that's going on in their property and so you know if you had to call the plumber they want to know what the 60 charge was and they want to know this that and the other and and that's fine you know you just have to know what that level of communication is for your client Um, you know, some people really want to be hands off and other people really want to be involved. Um, so you just got to find that person that works well with you. Um, you know, and I think, you know, you can't go wrong with checking out reviews, getting recommendations for other people. Um, what I would typically do anytime I'm trying to hire anybody is go and get some recommendations and then go, um, Facebook stock, Google reviews, Yelp reviews, you know, figure out what are the good people, um, you know, and check out their negative responses and see how they responded to negativity and, you know, figure out if those people are good problem solvers, um, you know, but like I said, the communication is probably the biggest one, making sure they communicate in a way that is effective for you.
2: That's awesome. I want to touch base on your screening process. I think that, um, besides, uh, managing the property, finding the right tenant, is that even possible? I'm not sure, but (laughs) right Uh, finding the right fit, I'll say. How do you do that?
1: Yeah. So um, I've been blessed with really good tenants so far. So knock on some wood. Um, Mm -hmm. The screening process is key though, of course. So we use a third party screening company called Resident Research. And that is you know, when they, when a prospective tenant wants to apply, they go onto my website, they fill out a form, they pay fifty dollars. All of that information and money goes to Resident Research, and um, they immediately pull up credit and criminal background and eviction history. Um, so that gives me a little bit of information to start off right away. So if I, um, you know, see that their credit score is only a five hundred, I can go ahead and deny their application right there. Because um, no matter what the rest of it says, that's going to be a non-starter. Um, if everything looks good from what I've got originally. um, They continue on and get um, the previous um, residence verification. So they get um, references from their last two landlords. Um, They verify their income. They check with their job. They get the pay stubs. Um, And that takes up to three days to complete that. So once they go through that process, if everything looks good, then I'll call um, I'll call the tenant and make sure that they are still wanting to move forward. Um, and then I'll call the owner and just go over what I have and make sure that they're also on board with that tenant. So I do put a little bit of power back into the owner's hands and say, you know, this is who I have, this is why I like them. What do you think? And just kind of make that a joint decision. Because um, some people are, you know, clear home run, A plus tenants, other people might be, you know, a B tenant. Um, On paper, but for whatever reason, you know, I'm really wanting them to accept them or or not accept them. So, you know, put a little bit of power back into the owner's hands on who we're going to take. And um, I I like doing my own showings and stuff, um, or at least having my assistant come by and do them. Because it gives us a chance to actually talk to the person and figure out, you know, does this person sound like somebody who's going to be reasonable to work with? You know, if they walk in and they act entitled or, you know, just kind of come up with a laundry list of things they don't like or, you know, just kind of have a negative personality to begin with, I will do everything in my power to not put that person in the house because that is just an unhappy person. And I like happy clients. I like happy tenants. You know, (laughs) I need happiness in my life, not negativity. So I really try to scream for that. Um, you know, and if you get a feeling that they've got more people living in the house than they're telling you about, if they sound like, um, you know, they're partiers, you know, I live close to NC State University, so, you know, a lot of the rentals attract college students or young professionals, and, you know, you just kind of want to make sure they're out of the party vibe, or, you know, if they go party, they're going downtown and not doing it at the house.
2: What's the minimum credit score that you're looking for? 650. 650, okay. Mm
1: -hmm. Yep. And I can work with a little bit less um, if they can do a larger deposit. So in North Carolina, we typically get like one month security deposit and, um, but we can get up to two months security deposits. So sometimes I'll ask for more if they're, you know, 625 or something. And you can see like, you know, they've got a student loan debt they didn't pay and everything else is paid or whatever.
0: What's the, you know, it's funny is when you tell people, I'm sure you get this, Don. when you tell people you manage property, you own real estate, people always want to know the crazy tenant stories. Like, I don't know about you, but I, I've gotten that question asked more than other questions <laughs> that are like, why, why do you go there? It's just, <laughs> so not just the craziest, but I'm curious what, which tenant over the years has taught you like the most important lesson when it comes to managing property?
1: Hmm. Yeah, you're right. I mean, fortunately, I don't have a lot of tenant um, horror totally. stories no, so with the very occasional, you know, have to replace the carpet because their dog, we have a lot of red clay in our um, soil. So mm-hmm. if it gets on your dog's paws and you let him walk in the house, you know, then your white carpet gets ruined. But this is all, most of it's stuff that is accidental or you know, I did have one tenant and it was unfortunate because was actually a good friend of mine's sister's property. So I was, I was close to the owner and, um, her tenants just were those kinds of people who just had a sob story for everything, you know, even when they moved in and I knew when they moved in that I didn't want to accept them, but the owner had a just a soft spot I guess for their story and I really should have separated them a little bit more and not have told her some of the things that he had told me because it made her want to accept him and even back then I I had the red flags that you know told me my gut told me like don't do it Um, he had been in a car accident he was moving here because like his store uh, back where he used to live had gotten robbed and you know they went out of business and he couldn't work for a long time because he had all these injuries and you know, they were downsizing from this big house, they had stuff everywhere. And I don't know if it was true or not true. I mean, it seemed to be true. But, you know, they were just one of those people that even after they moved in, they had opened up a restaurant and then the restaurant, uh, they sold it to somebody that person didn't pay, you know, he got in another car accident. I've never seen so many car accidents happen to one person.
0: (laughs)
2: Um, Oh, man
1: it It was a good reminder to me to be very um on guard when I talk to my tenants and make sure that what they're telling me really is true um, mm. you know, to you know, the people who have the worst stories, even if they are all true, are probably just, you know, kind of like the, that that kid on Charlie Brown, where the cloud just like hangs over. You don't want to bring that cloud in your life, you know, you to stay away from that person.
0: <laughs> no, that's really good insight. That's really great insight. And it's, um, I, you know, that's the other piece of it is that when you're out there and you have a, a challenging tenant situation, right? The person on paper that looked great, but something, something, you know, stray happened and then you have to evict them or hopefully um, not have to evict them, but something, you know, you have to clean something up with a tenant, learn from it so you can keep learning from, you know, all your situations so you can make things better, you know, because that's going to happen with tenants. <laughs> yeah, <I> mean, <laughs> you know,
1: jobs, you know so even your very perfect A plus tenants, bad right. things can happen. They could that's lose- right they can get sick and not be able to work or whatever, Um, you know, have to break their lease for some reason or another. So just, you know, I kind of have to be able to roll with the punches.
0: That's right. So I'm curious, you know, in in chatting with you, Dawn, and getting to know you, um, you mentioned something about um, balance, you know, that is there, is there such a thing as as balance? And, you know, I asked this to you because, you know, part of the show is not just about, you know, um... Uh, teaching people like you know hardcore real estate um, investing strategies, which is part of our part of our goal here with with helping women. The other part of it is is this idea of balance, and you know how do you create this financially independent life for yourself as as a woman, and you know do it peacefully, do it in a kind of a sane way, if I if I will, you know, if I can use that word sane, because I find women more than other people out there. What? <laughs> Are you calling us insane? Well, they're not insane. I'm not saying (laughs) that. What I was going is that women tend to take on a lot of things. And and as women, we have a lot of roles. We have a lot of hats. And I think that, you know, that can sometimes get in the way of our goals of trying to be that. We want to achieve this, but, you know, and, and I have to do this. And, you know, and you have twins and you're running a business and you're an investor and, and, and. So for you what's, you know, what are some of the secrets, right? How do you, how do you keep it all together? I mean, you manage and you have clients that you sell property. What do you sell? 40 to 50 homes a year or something or something ridiculously high? (laughs) And two kitty cats. So you got a lot. I mean, for you, how do you, you know, how do you manage your life, you know, and, and how do you do it in a way that works for you?
1: Sure. So, you know, I think any given part of your life is going to take more focus than others. You know, whatever it is you're trying to build at the moment is going to take more attention. So you can't evenly divide your attention across every aspect of your life at all times. You know, some things are just going to be more important depending on where you are. Um, So currently, um, like I have a full-time licensed assistant that helps me uh, with with the, the property management doing showings and stuff like that. Um, and, and that's been very, very helpful, but she's actually leaving at the end of this month. So I've got to hire somebody else. Well, now that's going to take a lot more attention, um, because I've got to fill that position, right? So it's going to take um, more time and energy. I need to spend my evenings looking through all these resumes that I'm getting and, you know, really looking for the right person. Um, I am taking on a partner also at the beginning of next year to help alleviate some of this, um, you know, just craziness that that it goes on in my life. And she is a really hard worker and somebody I've known for a long time. And so, you know, I just know that she and I would make a wonderful partnership. And I wouldn't partner with just anybody. um, You know, but she's definitely, I think, a a good key person to have uh, building the business with me. And the great thing is that, you know, I know that she is in building mode, you know, she's not trying to just Come in and just relax until retirement, and just kind of skate by. Like she's definitely in building mode, and I've always kind of built been in building mode, and I wanted it to be bigger and better. But everyone has limitations. You know, you can only do so much. I Any mean, one person can only handle so much. Um, I I need to sleep eight hours a day. I can't be one of those people who you know goes to bed at two and wakes up at four and goes to the gym. And you know, something's got to give, right? So. You know, I try to focus on my kids when my kids are here and when my kids are not here and they're in school. Fortunately, they're both in kindergarten now, so, you know, I actually got a a good part of my day back, and now that they're in kindergarten, I spend the whole time they're in school very focused on getting my work done, and um, time blocking is also very key for me. When you're in real estate, you can't go for long periods of time without talking to your clients or other people who've emailed you. Um, I remember, gosh, I was in a meeting the other day, and I was... You know, I had my phone off because I needed to focus on what I was doing, and I was probably out of pocket for about an hour and a half, and by the time I had turned back on my phone, people were asking if I was okay, like, <laughs> you, know, they were about me. They our, you know, they were sending me text messages and I wasn't responding, and, um, you know, and that really jumped out at me because it was sad that I couldn't spend an hour and a half away from my phone without people thinking that I was in the hospital. (laughs) So, you know, I think just kind of setting those expectations with people that, um, You know I do have a life outside of working and sometimes when I'm doing those things I am going to be unavailable Um, I try to communicate as quickly as I can but if that means it's not till the next day because I've spent the evening with my kids and my husband then so be it and that means I might not be the right fit for every single person who wants to buy a house you know some people really need um, the extra attention and don't understand that you have a family and stuff. And that's fine. Like they need somebody who is all about work 100%. Um, and I'm just not that person, you know? Uh, I pick my kids up from school. We're home by three forty-five or so. And, you know, sometimes I have things that I have to do at the computer. So I just let them hang out and watch TV or they go play outside and, you know, I'll get those things done. And then when my husband comes home, we spend some time together and we have dinner, you know, We'll play games with the kids. We'll sometimes just hang out, watch TV with the kids. Um, and if it's my busier time of year when the kids go down uh, for sleep, I'm back at my computer and I'm doing paperwork and I'm, you know, researching stuff for clients and things like that and getting back to my uh, communication. And so what I'm really trying to do is just really fit as much of my work time into those school hours as possible. And then time block a couple of other times throughout the day that I can respond to people and just, you know, make sure they, no, I haven't died yet, Um, and take the rest of that time and spend it with my family. Um, And that doesn't always happen. You know, spring and summer is super busy in real estate, so there's always going to be those times where things are just crazy and, you know, you don't see your family for some time. And I, I think that's okay. Also, you know, you set that expectation also with your family is that, you know, I've got to do these things today you know, I'm sorry, I'd love to have dinner with you, but I've got to go meet some clients and go do this other thing. And my husband, fortunately, is very supportive of that. You know, I need him to come home from work early and take over so I can go do something else. You know, he's he's right there ready to jump in because he knows that everything that I do benefits our whole family. Um, and that also when I can take the time and, you know, spend it with them, that I obviously would always prefer to spend time with my family if I can. So, um so, yeah, I guess the, the short answer is there really is no balance. It's just a matter of really focusing on what needs your attention the most at the time and then making some time to take care of the other things as well. So, you know, I find turning off your phone every now and again is um, helpful to avoid the distractions. Otherwise, you know, you get ping, 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 and you're like, oh, what, email? What? Facebook? Who needs me? Who loves me? I oh. know. Um, what do you need now? And so, you know, it's hard to focus <clears> and get something done. You know, if I'm sitting down and trying to write a contract, and you know, I'm getting multiple uh, incoming messages, it takes me twice as long to write the contract. So if and I get back to that and focus on this, then I can send it off. Then I can respond to whatever messages have happened, and then I can just turn it all off and go hang out with my kids. So mm-hmm. that's
2: awesome, uh, Don. I, I want. I'm curious about how do you reward yourself as Dawn, not as a mom, not as investor, as Dawn, as the woman Dawn. How do you reward yourself? Uh,
1: so I, I'm not a hugely materialistic person. Like I mean, you know, I like stuff just as much as the next person, but, you know, once I have my iPad and my MacBook and, you know, some nice boots for the winter and stuff, (laughs) I don't know. I don't really spoil myself too much. Um, I am very focused on my goal of being financially free by the time I'm 50 um, and I'm 37 now. Well, I'm about to be 38 here in a couple of days, so I've got 12 years to make it so that if I want to work, I can, if I don't want to work, I don't have to. Um, you know, at that point, my kids will be getting out of high school as well. So, you know, I just want to allow myself the freedom to do whatever I want when, by the time the kids have the freedom to go wherever they want. Um, so maybe that means I travel. Maybe that means I live wherever the kids live, you know, or maybe it just means I continue doing what I'm doing right now, but with the option of, you know, doing it or not doing it. So, um, my husband was joking with a one of his friends the other day about, um, you know, buying something. I think for my birthday that's coming up, and Rick was like, I don't know, she never really wants anything because you know he'll buy flowers and stuff sometimes, <laughs> and I'm like, I don't know, the cats just knock them over, like they die. Like I don't, I don't see the appeal in flowers. Um, so he was like, you know, I think Dawn would probably be happier if I just like, you know, opened up like a mutual fund or something for her. <laughs> <laughs> You get it. You get it. That is that is me. If you did that, I would finally like be like, you get me. <laughs> and you know, it was funny, but it's probably true. Um, you know, I I don't really get pedicures and manicures. I don't really get massages and stuff like that. Um, I do spend some time with my friends. I you know, I need kind of that downtime, that me time, where I'm not having to look out for anybody else. So you know, I'd probably say that's probably the biggest thing I do for myself is just have brunch with my friends, go out for dinner and drinks with my friends and, um, you know, just kind of relax.
2: Adult beverage, adult conversation.
1: <laughs> the only way you get by in real estate is in
2: real There you go. Exactly.
0: <laughs> I think Don, you said, you said some great things and, and, and for those women out there that are listening to this, I think the, the biggest thing you said was two things, know yourself and you can't do everything yourself. So you know, you're bringing in a partner to help you grow this business. You have an, you know, an assistant. And I think when people get started in real estate investing, it gets overwhelmed. They're like, oh, I can't, I can't hire anyone to pay, pay them. I can't pay them anything. I can't hire anyone. And I think people just need to think differently. And partners are also um, you know, taking on the risk together. So there's always a lot of creative ways to get help. It's not just, oh, I don't have a ton of money to pay someone. And that's not a good enough, it's, just, it's an excuse, I think, often. Um, and I even find myself saying that sometimes if we want to you know, hire somebody new, we're like, no, we can make this work. How do we make this work? It's how do we make this work? So I love that you said that, that you're not doing everything yourself and you know yourself. What works for Dawn? And I think that's a big thing that women are so busy taking care of so many things that we don't often know sometimes what really works for ourselves. And I think that's really, uh, uh, that's a key. Because if you don't know yourself really well, really, really well, and keep getting to know yourself, um, you're going to give everything to everyone, and, and then you're going to be frustrated and resentful. So uh, I think you, you're doing that really well. So that's great. So.
1: Yeah, when I, uh, when my parents had bought these rental properties, you know, they're they much more do-it-yourselfer kind of people. Um, so when we had turnovers, we would paint the houses ourselves, we would clean ourselves, we would do everything ourselves. And, uh, you know, at the when I was younger, in my 20s, and didn't have kids and stuff, that wasn't that big of a deal. But now it's like, I couldn't imagine walking into a house and wanting to go clean it myself. Like, who's got time to do that when I can just pay somebody? a hundred bucks and you know, she'd get it done way faster than I would much better than I would. Um, and I can get somebody moved in there faster because you know, w- when you hire out those things that are, you know, pretty low per hour wage jobs, you know, there's really no sense in doing that yourself When you could be outsourcing better deals or, you know, even just having time with your kids. To me, that's easily worth 20 bucks an hour to pay um, somebody else to do something so I can go hang out with my kids.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to touch base on that. Um, you recently did your first private lending deal where you can just watch the money to go to work. <laughs> <laughs> I want you I want you to walk us through um, your process of that first deal. What did you look for? What due diligence did you do in order for you to feel comfortable on doing that?
1: Sure. That definitely took a leap of faith because, um, you know, I, again, I have no idea what I'm doing here and just kind of you know, play with stuff. And then, you know, when it's a a good chunk of money, though, it's not playing anymore, you're really taking some risk. And I lent out $50,000. And I lent it to somebody who has been a client of mine in the past. Um, He bought a house from me and flipped it. Um, And he's done a few other projects and stuff since then. And he sources a lot of his own deals by doing direct mail and stuff like that. So um, we've only worked together one other time. Um, And but he's been successful at what he's been doing and he's been successful at finding deals and he's been successful at getting these properties flipped. And so, you know, kind of just been watching him from afar handle all his stuff and he's been doing great. And so he had approached me. I don't, I can't remember why he approached me. Maybe I had mentioned, you know, having some extra money and wanting to do something with it. But um, he approached me with this private lending deal for a small property um, in a nearby town. And it was a neighborhood I was familiar with. And, you know, he told me this is how much I'm buying it for. This is how much work it needs. This is how much I think I can sell it for. Here's the comps, you know, and kind of laid it out in a nice package for me. And then of course, because I have access to the MLS, I went back and checked all of his numbers and, you know, kind of decided whether or not, um, I felt he was right and I you know he was good on his estimations and so um, I was in a first position which means if I do have to foreclose on him I get paid first um, and we just did it for 10% which I think I probably could have gotten more but I think I wanted to just um, you know just kind of figure this out as I was going and it wasn't really so much about what I was making as it was about just kind of going through the process and because he had had some private lending um, private loans before, he already had some of the paperwork done. He had, um, you know, the note already written that I could look through and he had blessed by his attorney and everything. So, you know, a lot of that legwork was already done on his end. And then I just sent it out to some ladies I trust to give me good advice and had them kind of bless it as well. So um you know got some good advice about kind of how to move forward and so he did the project I lent him the money for three months and he actually just closed on it a couple of weeks ago and um I got yeah I got paid back and I was like all right I did get my money back (laughs) thank goodness (laughs) Um, and then he had another project he wanted to work on and asked if he could borrow it for another eight months so I gave it right back to him um And so, you know, yeah. So it's tied up for another eight months. Um, The tough part is, is that when I find deals that I want to do myself, and maybe do a flip, you know, a good chunk of my money is already tied up somewhere else. So, um, you know, now I've got to figure out how I'm going to get money to do (laughs) things that I want to do when they come up. So,
2: talk to those ladies; they have ideas.
1: (laughs) Actually, plan on going to the bank today to go work on pulling a, a line of credit from my house. And that'll be kind of my first step. And I think I could probably get about a hundred thousand dollar line of credit for that. So um, lock. deals to pop up lately and want to be prepared.
2: The HELOC on your private. Yeah. Oh, awesome. That's great. That's another strategy that we did it as well. Pulling the equity out of our private in order to um, have capital in hand. Yep. yep. Awesome.
1: That's the plan for today.
0: There we go. So Don, before we get to our, our fabulous three questions, um, we wanted to ask you, where can listeners learn more about you?
1: Sure. So uh, my website's trailwoodrealty.com. Um, I'm on Facebook a lot, uh, it's slash Dawn Brennigan. Um, I have accounts on Twitter and Instagram and things like that, but I'm pretty much never on them. So uh, Bigger Pockets is another place, that I'm pretty active um, in the forums and stuff, and they made me a moderator there. So I try to get on there as much as I can and do some moderating <laughs> <laughs> and learning.
0: And your, in your areas of focus, you manage properties in which areas again, if you don't no, mind. I'm
1: in Raleigh and the surrounding, um, suburbs. So that would be like Cary, Holly Springs, Apex, Wake Forest, um, to Durham, which is kind of the next more major city next to us.
2: Okay. That's awesome. So let me get to our fabulous three questions. So the first one is, um, what's the most transformational book you ever read in your life?
1: That's tough because there's a lot of really good books out there. Um, I I really like The Miracle Morning for real estate agents, um, specifically like the real estate agents version of it because it's um, more of a storytelling than it is a you know, how-to book on how to wake up early. Um, I would say that has been my New Year's resolution for as long as I can remember is to try to become more of a morning person. And, you know, I just feel like uh, I'm so much more alert in the morning and I can get so much more done that if you just had more of that morning time versus, you know, at the end of the day, you're just exhausted and don't really want to start anything new and, you know, end up just spending your time watching TV and scrolling Facebook, which is what I do if I stay up too late. <laughs> you know, what what I'm trying to do is not do that and go to bed earlier and wake up earlier. So um, I read that book every once in a while and it it motivates me to, uh, you know, put a little bit more focus in that, that morning, those morning hours.
2: That's awesome. Uh, Second question is what's the most powerful routine you do to create a financially free and balanced life?
1: Um, So I automate a lot of my savings. Um, I I kind of figured out how much I need to have on hand to cover all my bills without having to, you know, log in and make sure everything's going to clear. So, you know, I keep enough cushion in there and I keep just enough in there so that everything else gets automatically sent to, um, you know, IRA accounts. My husband maxes out his um, his 403b. Plus, he gets a pension, and you know, we send off as much of the money as possible, and we get it out of the bank account so that it doesn't get spent. Um, knowing that, you know, if we have a month where we're going to go on a vacation or something like that, we can always pull money back out. So, some of it's more accessible than others because some of it's in retirement accounts, some of it's in taxable accounts. Um, but I find just kind of automating the process of getting it out of my account, which is difficult because I don't get paid the same amount amount every month. So it's not like I can just figure out what I'm going to make every month and then, you know, take X number of dollars out. So sometimes I have to change it. Sometimes too much money builds up in there and I have to get it out so I don't get too tempted to spend it. Um, So I think kind of just automating that process a bit and then just really focusing on what my goals are later, um, which is you know, people, I think, they want to be financially free. And when you say that, people think it's about money. And it's, it's not about money. It's about options. And, you know, I don't really care how much money I have in the bank. What I really care about is, you know, what does that money buy me? And if it buys me the freedom of moving to Hawaii because my kid lives in Hawaii and now I've got grandkids in Hawaii, then that's what I want to do. And I don't want anything holding me back from making those kinds of decisions. So,
2: Yeah, that's a good clarification point. Um, the third one is which woman famous or not alive or not uh, has inspired you the most
1: you know i I'd, I'd say my mom she's <laughs> she's a uh, she was an immigrant um, she's Korean and moved to the United States um, when she married my dad. He was in the army and so he met her when he was stationed in Korea and she moved here and um, really she was an orphan growing up so she really just had no um you know, no education in her upbringing, you know, uh, you know, academic or otherwise, like she just didn't really have any good role models and stuff. And she was able to come here and really, um, make a good life for herself and she's not rich by any means but you know between her and my dad they say he was he was enlisted in the army he never made more I think $35,000 a year I think was his top salary by the time he had passed and so he never made a lot of money she was a hairdresser she never made a lot of money but somehow or another they managed to pay off their house they never had loans on cars you know they had money in the bank they had excellent credit And, you know, I kind of look back on their lifestyle versus the one that I have. And, you know, I was talking to my husband about this the other day. I was like, you know, we never went out to eat. Like, we went out to eat like once a year. And I think we ordered pizza twice a year (laughs) (laughs) all the time. And, you know, going out to eat was a real big treat and something I looked really forward to when we got to do it. And now it's like, we're hungry. Where do we want to eat? <laughs> no, there's nothing special about it. You know, it's not. Um, you know, it's not a treat for us. It's just we're hungry. And we have to feed ourselves, and there's. You know, nobody's gonna cook. So we just go out somewhere. And it's a very stark contrast to how I was raised and, um, and, and stark contrast to really how I want my kids to be raised and where, how I want them to understand the value of money. You know, my mom used to sit down and pay all of her bills with the checkbook. And, you know, I'd sit at the dining room table with her and I knew how much our mortgage was. I knew how much our electricity was, you know, and I'm nine years old and I can see how much she paid. And I think, Beyond the actual financial education my parents gave me, I think really just kind of being very open with our finances with me was kind of what helped me understand it the most. Um, Absolutely. You know, I knew how much money my dad made. I knew how much money my mom brought in. It's not that they were sitting me down and showing me or telling me. They just kind of were open and, you know, never made it a secret. So you know, I knew what a good credit score meant by the time I was in junior high and, (laughs) you know, that all these things were very important. And now, you know, she is retired and she retired when she was, uh, 55 and, you know, she lives in a nice house that's paid off. And again, her car is paid off. Everything's still paid off. Um, (laughs) You know, she gets a, a benefit from the military from my dad's um, passing, so she gets a little bit of money from that, maybe a little over $1,000 a month, I think, which is enough for her to live comfortably and, you know, have a little bit of money in the bank, and she'll qualify for Social Security, and she lives a very just kind of simple, regular life, but she has options, and she can kind of, you know, do whatever she wants to do, so.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, Don, thank you so much for being on our show and, and sharing all your all your wisdom with the with the, all the women out there. So, we really appreciate your time and expertise and just just great great uh, you know time we had with you. So, thank you. Yeah, you're
1: welcome. Appreciate. Thank it. you so much,
2: Don. It was a pleasure. Same here. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to receive updates on our next interviews